Welcome to our December Insider. Thanks for joining today. I'm Sam Zellifro and I'm here with Lucas Alvarez and together we're hosting another installation of our Insider program. It's the last one for the year, so we're really happy that you could join us. Um, you know, we're both on the in-house committee for the Atlanta chapter of AIGA and I work at Kimberly Clark as a global brand design manager in our B2B sector. I manage the visual identities of several of our brands in the portfolio. Lucas? Yeah, I work for GNA. It's a sustainability consultant agency uh, based out of New York. I'm working full-time home, uh, do all the branding and communications for them. So that's that's my role. Today, we have Nick Fecto with us. He's a multidisciplinary artist, designer, and creative director. He began his career as a menswear designer at Abercrombie & Fitch before making the jump to fashion advertising, where he helped create highly successful campaigns for high-profile fashion brands such as Gap, Hermes, and Juicy Couture. While working at a Minneapolis-based agency, Peterson Miller Hooks, Nick worked across touch points in the style category for Target. He also worked extensively with Sears Corporation to revive Kmart with a complete rebrand of the fashion and home businesses. After Minneapolis, Nick pivoted and co-founded an art, design, and branding studio in Southern California. And most recently, he's found himself being asked to lead the in-house creative at Atlanta's own billion-dollar furniture retailer, Rooms to Go. I cannot wait to talk to him more about his journey in a moment. Um, but first, as always, uh, we want to take a second to thank our village. Lucas, you want to highlight our team? For sure. Yeah. So, you know, just introduce Sam and I. So we got, we also have Meg and Courtney. They've been super helpful. Uh, they help us create the social posts. They also be, they also do the interviewing as well as you've seen. So we're going to be bringing a lot more to you next year as well, which we're really excited about. On that note too, I should probably mention that we'll be skipping the first month uh, of 2021 to get everything in order. But after that, we'll be moving forward and continuing with our schedule as regularly planned every first Wednesday of every month. Great news. All right, Amy, you got the market minute for us this month. Okie dokie. You guys, it's December. I can't even handle that fact. Um, so market minute for December. I'm Amy Mangan with the Creative Group. And um, on the first slide, what I pulled was the most requested roles um, for TCG over the course of November. You guys will be happy to know that graphic design was far and away the most requested new job for us, um, followed by uh, video editing and production and then digital marketing manager roles. A lot of those roles for the digital marketing managers tended to, to slant on the perm side, but we definitely had some on the contract to hire or um, regular freelance side as well. And then on the right side of your screen, what you're looking at here is basically graphic design roles specifically in Atlanta um, from CareerBuilder over the last three months. So we're able to pull a little bit of a snapshot there. And I think you guys will also be happy to see that there are about twice as many open jobs posted as there are candidates, which is really exciting for people who are on the job market and looking. Um, so if you look at the, the trend line on that, um, on the chart at the bottom, I think it's really interesting. You see that it sort of leveled out around July, but now we're starting to see that disparity again of more jobs um, posted than there are candidates who are updating resumes and putting resumes on the site there. Um, and then the next thing I wanna chat about is Adobe put out their state of creativity report. They do this annually, but this one was a little bit different because it was really um, specifically uh, survey questions surrounding the pandemic as well as other social change issues um, as it relates to the creative industry. So this is a really cool report um, and we had nothing to do with it. I just thought it was very uh, informational and relevant to what we're seeing in the market with our clients in Atlanta. Um, so if you'd like a copy, definitely you shoot me an email and I can shoot it over to you. It's free from Adobe. But anyway, um, so 
overwhelmingly, the respondents were basically saying that they're having a really challenging time responding creatively to what's going on. Um, many folks were saying they're having a, an exceptionally hard time planning for upcoming campaigns. I know our clients have been um, lamenting that and candidates that we're working with, and we are internally as well. It's really challenging time to try to forecast and plan, and everything has to be sort of last minute um, to, to, to remain relevant based on how things are pivoting so quickly in 2020 or have been. Um, and a lot of folks also agree that they're being asked to develop way more content in way less time. And um, I think this one is sort of timeless. The teams feel that their creative workflow could be more efficient. I mean, who wouldn't answer yes to that like any day of the week? I feel like that's sort of a, the, that's a non, you know, non-issue. It's not new to 2020. Um, and then also, I think this is something we've absolutely heard at TCG from candidates and clients, over three quarters of the respondents said that they, their clients and company in general are just really risk averse to, um, to using cutting edge visuals. And so people in general have become very risk averse through the pandemic and through COVID and everything. So we've seen a little bit of a stalling out of, of cutting edge uh, design a little bit and or people getting approvals for that. Not that the design itself is not um, forward thinking. Um, and then also uh, the next slide is really about how um, people feel they need to upskill and are being asked and pushed to upskill within their own teams and expand their own creative skill sets as well. Almost 90% said that they're being asked to do more interactive design with UX and UI. Um, a lot of folks also said they're seeing more push for 3D and virtual photography. Uh, several of our, our clients in Atlanta, like on the retail side of the business are um, definitely looking into that. And then you guys are probably sick, sick of hearing me say video, but again, video production is another area where teams are being asked to upskill and expand their creative skill sets. Um, so if you'd like this whole report, just send me an email and I can, I can shoot it over to you. Um, and then if you need anything else from me or you have not yet received the 2021 salary guide, please definitely let me know. It's a free resource, not only for yourself, but if you are managing a team or are um, in any way responsible for folks' careers, definitely um, something you want to look at now is not the time to underpay. Um, there are more jobs than there are candidates and people are scooping up good talent. So retention is a big factor as we head into the end of the year and the beginning of next year. Um, and, you know, a lot of teams are starting to ramp back up who had maybe had layoffs or let people go. We're starting, we've definitely begun seeing a lot of that hiring continue. Um, so it's a, it's a good time to give raises and not use the pandemic as an excuse to underpay. So that's it for me. And with that, I'll hand it back over to Sam. Cool. Thanks, Evie. I had to say, I always love your market minutes. I feel like they're, at least for me, they're very validating because a lot of times when you're going through the trends and, and sharing some of the stats with us, I, I can relate to a lot of that and what I'm seeing at work. So again, it's like validating to hear those things. So thank you as always for sharing that with us. Um, Nick, you can turn your video on. Um. Sorry about there that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> like a dramatic pause. <laughs> I was just expecting Lucas to magically do it for me, I guess. So. Yeah, um, oh my gosh, welcome to our, right. our December Insider. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for good. having me. Yeah, yeah, our pleasure. Um, you know, guy, everybody that's on the call today, we had a chance to get with Nick a little bit before Thanksgiving, actually, which feels like a million years ago. Um, and kind of talk through his journey because, you know, as you heard in the bio, he's kind of pinged all over the U.S. and done a lot of different types of work. So we're super excited to dig dig into that today. And I kind of wanted to start because you shared that you went to the yeah. Cleveland Institute of Art for graphic emotion design. Mm -hmm. But then you started your career in this like fashion space. So I'm kind right. of curious. Can you tell us a little bit about how your career got started? Yeah. So, you know, essentially I was at the art institute there um for i was in this major it was a very ambiguous major called time and i don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing because it kind of let me venture off into whatever i wanted to do and i was mainly focused a lot on video motion graphics just graphic design it was 
very graphic design oriented, but I had a lot of progressive things at the time, you know, with the web and, um, and different video applications. And um, I had a best friend actually that was um, going to Kent State. Uh, he was a part of the, a really great graphic design program there, as many people may know. Um, and his girlfriend was in the fashion department. And I didn't know at the time that Kent State was known for fashion design, um, yeah. but they supplied a lot of talent to Gap and a lot of the big American corporations over the years. And um, anyways, we started doing a lot of like kind of visual work for her and uh, the kind of the, the clothing that she was making and um, as well as some other uh, people that were going to the Cleveland Sport at the time, um, we started getting on this sort of like fashion journey where, you know, they were like, hey, could you make us a video? Can you, you know, we want to, you know, shoot this sort of like runway thing. We want to do this sort of like campaign idea, you know, that we've got going on. And we're like, oh, this is really awesome. This is, this is fun. And it was interesting. And to me, I was kind of like, well, I mean, I could kind of just do this um, myself if I could just figure out how to put the clothes together. So um, I could just start my own brand or I could just start, you know, and I'd always been into screen printing. We'd always done t-shirts and we'd always, you know, kind of started, you know, getting somewhere in fashion, you know, mm-hmm. um, at an early stage. But um, it wasn't until I started taking classes at Kent State where I learned how to sew and put garments together and stuff like that. And, um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I was like, wow, I really can just do this. Um, and I, I moved to New York um, and started working in the factories um, and just kind of learning the business kind of from the inside out. Um, I'm not really sure what I was doing at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of going for it. And, um, and that kind of led me to kind of creating my own line where I was able to kind of put the whole, basically put all the pieces together. I could kind of do the, I could create the clothes, create the ad campaign, you know, kind of the visuals, the branding and, and put it all together. And that's kind of what I, where I started. And while I was doing that, I was kind of, I was selling stuff here and there in New York city. Um, and I had caught the eye of a recruiter for Abercrombie and Fitch. And um, we had kind of become friends and, and he was like, Hey, you know, Abercrombie starting this new line and we're getting a lot of great people from all over to come work. And it was, it was rule number nine, two, five now defunct. But at the time it was this new concept that they were working on is, Hey, would you ever come and, and work on the, you know, on the menswear side? Um, and so I decided, I was like, Hey, why not? This sounds like a really great idea. Um, and could be a, just a way into the industry. You know, I was kind of thinking about, you know, um, sites past school, you know, post-college, mm-hmm. you know, what was I going to be doing? I'm like, Hey, this is kind of an in, why don't I try it out? And it was great. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, one of the best parts about it, which I had mentioned to you before, was the fact that I worked with so many amazing people. Like Abercrombie Fitch had this amazing ability to bring people from all over the world somehow. Um, and I worked with a ton of talent and um, that went off to, you know, went back and became, you know, big people at Balenciaga, Burberry, right. um, Gap and, and everything like that. So it was a really great opportunity to work with a lot of different people. And it was a really interesting concept at the time too. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it never, it never lasted for various reasons. But uh, yeah, that was kind of my, how I got started into, into fashion. All right. So you spent some time at Abercrombie & Fitch. You yeah. crossed paths with like a ton of cool people. Yeah. Kind of, I guess, broadened your, your net, right? Yeah. Um, and then you went back to New York? Yeah. So I think, I think at the core, I mean, ultimately, I love doing menswear design. I thought it was a really great opportunity at Abercrombie and Fitch and it was something that I could definitely do you know I mean I'm mm-hmm. as a designer I, I kind of do, I do a lot of different things um I work in a lot of different mediums and I can kind of play roles and I think the only problem was was that it felt like a little bit I was playing a role of a fashion designer and it wasn't really who I was you know specifically and maybe what I wanted to do going forward mm-hmm. so I knew I had to get back to New York City and I knew I had to somehow maybe perhaps make a transition to the other side. Um, and there were an opportunity rose where I was actually about to take a job at Ralph Lauren. And at the last minute, um, the recruiting, you know, the company I was with was like, Hey, well, why don't you go just do an interview at Laird and partners um, and just see what you think. And so I did that. Um, and immediately I was like, wow, this is, I think this could be exactly what I want to do. You know, it's kind of like go on the other side and, you know, I could, you know, work on, you know, building campaigns, building brands, kind of on the other side of things, you know, but what was really great was that um, they liked me a lot at Laird and Partners um, initially uh, just for the fact that I could, you know, for, to talk to the clients, I could talk to the designers, you know, so whether we're working on Donna Karen or DKNY or Gap, 
I could talk to the designers in a way that felt very much like I, you know, having come from that side, you know, and then kind of transitioning over to the other side of things. It was, it was easy to take some, take a concept that was rooted in the fashion and the clothing, the product and make it something more, you know, make it something mm -hmm. that was campaignable. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got started there, you know, with, um, with Laird and partners and, and fashion advertising is where it kind of started. That's awesome. And so you spent some time there. What would you say, what were like the biggest learnings that you had during that milestone in your career? Probably some of the biggest learnings I had, you know, obviously the, the attention to detail, the idea of, of storytelling um, was a big thing that I, I had learned at Laird and Partners, not also the, the ins and outs of just fashion retail, but, um, you know, and the marketing aspect of that, but I, really storytelling and getting excited about something and trying to ex extrapolate from the product or from the campaign of the, se you know, from the seasonal offerings, you know, something to talk about and get really excited about. And um, I don't know, it's just, but, and then as well as the attention to detail, the, the, the constant perfection of, of the design and the art direction, um, you know, working with amazing, you know, again, I, I went from one place, you know, Evercoming Fitch working on the design side of working with amazing talents from all over the world. And then I went transitioned to the other side with Laird and Partners and it was working with amazing, you know, photographic talents from all over the world, you know, um, just awesome photographers, um, colleagues of mine, really great designers. I mean, the best of the best in New York, you know, and um, right. which is something that I think that the, um, you know, with luxury fragrance and fashion, that one of the things that it has going for it is that it, it, it tends to, draw that it tends to it tends to almost you know demand the best and the, that level of talent so as my circle um or the people that are involved with are, are all very talented and very good yeah that's and we'll get to your work on target in a minute yeah. but um that was one of the things that i was thinking about as i was kind of reflecting on the conversation we had is that you know working in this very like premium environment mm -hmm. and, and and the sorts of priorities that you have there um, and resources, right? Like yeah. you have these photographers at your disposal, you've got budgets at your yeah, disposal, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And then moving to to more of a, a mass brand like Target, which still, I mean, I would argue has like a, a pretty like premium aesthetic. Um, definitely, I, I, I would venture to guess that the, the priorities are a little bit different and the budgets are a little bit different and how you, you know, um, uh, push and pull on those levers is different. So I'm kind of curious, you know, if you started your career over in this very premium sector, you know, what you learned from that and then how you were able to take that um, throughout your career as you're designing for all these other, um, you know, categories and segments and things like that. Yeah, I think, well, I think that, you know, one of the things that taught me, well, first of all, let me say that it was, it was a pretty easy transition or it wasn't an incredibly difficult transition going from even the most high-end, you know, fashion to target because of the fact that at the time, you know, the, the design for all um, initiative was in, was in full effect. Um, and, you know, we were partnering with brands as, you know, like Missoni and uh, Alexander McQueen and, 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 and the like. And I think that, you know, at Peterson Miller Hooks, one of the things that I was doing was right away was, was handling that style category. And, and so it was a really, easy transition, you know, they had, Target had done so much work, you know, at the time, you know, up to that, up to that point, and, and Dave Peterson had done so much work to get Target to this place that made it, you know, this sort of like this, this prestigiousness for the masses, you know, um, and this, uh, you know, able to make it so, you know, I think that that level of design and that, and uh, that level of sophistication could come and be part of the value equation. You know, I think, which, which was the big key, because that was the big key differ differentiator. I mean, it's the same, you know, a lot of the, the visuals and stuff and the, you know, everything that we were going for had, was similar, except the messaging had a lot more of the value proposition. I was going to ask, like, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't need to interrupt, but no, how, how do you make some of those um, more, you know, super premium brands feel more accessible through Target? It, would you argue, or would you say that it's more about the messaging rather than the visuals or? Well, I would say, yeah, I would say it's more of, it's about showing, you know, it's like, I mean, it was kind of like about showing a really great visual, something that was very appealing or sexy or, or just, you know, striking. I mean, it's very effective, you know, and bold and, um, and it had a style, a sense to it, but it was like for everybody. And it was, and it was always, but you know, I mean, there's different key differentiators too. It never got, you know, it was never cold, you know, it was always warm and it was always inclusive and inviting, I think. Um, and, 
and there was also, but it was always very prominent, the messaging, you know, whether it be a print ad, you know, back then, you know, when we do print ads or through the TV messaging that it was always, you know, you're getting all this stuff at just a great price, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's for you, it's for everybody. And I think that's what was genius about Target's design for all, you know, initiative in general was this, this idea that, you know, revealing to, and exposing the, the fact that everybody wants, or most everybody wants good design if they can have access to it. Um, and so, you know, we were given carte blanche usually to just go for it. And, and you know, and like I said, following certain parameters of, you know, um, making it feel, you know, um, warm and inviting and, and, and fun, you know, nothing that was polarizing or off-putting, you know, like sometimes mm -hmm. we're, we're high-end fashion can venture is more licensed to venture right. into more of the polarizing aspects of, of, of culture and whatnot. But, you know, um, but definitely it was like never um, a step down in terms of visual quality or um, execution uh, whatsoever. I think Target was very specific about that and something that, you know, they held in very high regard, you know, their level of output is, right. is, is such. I think, should I share one of your ads? I, I do sure, have yeah, yeah, please. So, oh yeah, we have some just Let me just share sure. that. It, it complements what you're talking about. Yeah, this is, this is a great example. You know, you take something like Cynthia Vincent and her shoes, you know, and we put out, you know, we shot this out in the desert, you know, on the, on the dry lake bed or whatever. And it's just got this sort of like epic feel to it. And it's high polish, you know, um, striking image. But, you know, I mean, the copy was so important. I mean, we labored over this copy, you know, like it's the world travel designer trends, new, uh, treads new ground with down to earth prices. So you always have that expect more, pay less, you know, value yeah. proposition, um, you know, that was, that was a part of, of pretty much everything that we put out. Um, but yeah, this was a good example of that. I and mean, having your prices on there and it's like seeing like, wow, look at the, those really sexy, great shoes. You can mm -hmm. get at this price at this time for this limited period of time. I mean, you can't go wrong. So yeah, you like took that premium, like you're talking about from the premium brands, you brought it down to earth literally with the copy and with the visual. And I think that's to, to what Sam was saying, like a way to translate it's that attention to detail and the focus. It's not about uh, jamming too much messaging or it has to say something specific. It, you, you guys really honed in on it. You can see that the, the, the text is white. Like it's kind of pushed back, but you guys labored so hard on it. And it still makes that impact though. You know, it doesn't need to be like super bold in your face all the time. The imagery does it for you and the copy complements it perfectly. So. Right. Thanks. Yeah. And Target's, Target's in-house team was, was, you know, so talented at trying to approve and strike and, and push us to, you know, uh, to strike that balance and get that, that balance, just enough messaging, pulling it back just enough. So it's not too much in your face and, and just trying to really, really hone that the craft of, of the, you know, expect more pay less as it would relate to fashion and style overall. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So you spent several years in Minneapolis working for Target. Is that where you also did work for Sears? Did, yes, exactly. I did work for Sears. I wish I would, now I wish I would have included some of those images too. Um, so Kmart had come, you know, this is all a very weird time too, um, you know, because this is in 2008 after the big market crash. And so everybody, right. the world was kind of like, you know, upended and, and everything was, and Target was having a sort of a crisis of, of an image crisis themselves. You know, it was just very hard to do this work too in this time period when, when it was like, you know, oh my God, how are we ever going to compete with Walmart, you know, and their lower prices, even though it was like talking like pennies and, and, and I think it'd be, it was just this, it was a very interesting time because Target was having an internal reevaluation of the whole Target image, you know, and, and as that, as that being a liability. And, um, and as you can see, the, you know, the weather, the storm, and it's, it's not, it's something that's part of your brand. And, and, but, but they were really all like, oh my God, our, our world, you know, it's all this stuff that we've tried to do is like, could potentially bring us down, you know? And um, I had done a lot of work. Um, uh, actually, um, Lucas, uh, if you could put up the, the image of the, the C9, um, I don't know if that was on there or not. Do you have that or no? Uh, I don't think so. No. Oh, that's okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. My, my point being that a lot of the work was shifting um, that I was doing, not only with the, with the design for all um, style category stuff, but also like the work for C9 
and I worked for some of the, the general, the other categories in the brand had a lot to do with trying to get more relatable to the everyday, everyday and the, finding the, the sort of intricacies of style and design within the everyday. And um, the photography started to shift a little bit and the styling started to shift a little bit in terms of, um, in terms of a more of a lifestyle approach, uh, a little bit more of a lifestyle aesthetic, I guess you would say. Um, and, you know, that, that was an interesting, it was interesting. So everything kind of started to shift. Well, when, to back to your point, you know, when, when Kmart came along, you know, we weren't doing as much work for Target at the time and Kmart had asked, well, hey, can you make us more relevant? And so we took a, a very lifestyle approach to that brand and, and try to apply a little of like the, you know, um, we had come up with this campaign, Money Can't Buy Style, and we kind of made it sort of like the mantra for, for Kmart, where it was like, it wasn't how much money you had, but it was what you do with, you know, like working with what you've got. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was very, that was very appealing to them. It was very successful for them at the time. Um, and, and really helped kind of put them in a place for how they could talk about their fashion and, and their style categories. Um, very cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so after Minneapolis, you moved to Southern California. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you tell uh, us a little bit about your jump there, a little bit well, about your pivot. So, you know, I had always had this kind of, um, actually, my, my, my time has always been kind of broken up between um, elsewhere and then Southern California. My wife's from Southern California. It was a place, there's always this like romance that I've had. Even I'd, I'd initially left, um, before my time in Minneapolis, I had spent a little time out in Southern California um, on this sort of like hiatus where I thought I was going to be making um, I thought I was going to be making boots. Uh, I was going right. to leave, right, I was going right. leave advertising. Right? So I was going to leave advertising and start making boots, which was this crazy dream of mine. Um, and, uh, and then it went to Minneapolis and then um, I actually, so I, I do have this, I have this, you know, there's a period of time that I spent out there, um, which actually ironically enough came to be um, a big part of my influence for the work I'd done at Target with William Rast. Um, which was Justin Timberlake's uh, um, denim line that he was launching at Target. And uh, the whole thing was set in the, uh, kind of like the romanticism of the West Coast. And I've always had this sort of like draw to California and the desert and then the sort of like manifest destiny of out West. It's never really stuck though. I've always, you know, I've, um, you know, I've always tried to do something out there and something's always brought me back to the other side of the coast, most recently now to the South. But when I was out there, you know, um, I had done more solitary work, whether it be um, through freelance or starting our own, my own sort of like art and design studio for a little while, where I was working on a lot of different projects, personal projects, and trying to figure out what I was kind of going for, you know. So what my next step was, kind of waiting, I guess, in a sense of, of what was my next opportunity um, you know, and what's next for me, I think, which has kind of been a, a theme of mine. Like I'll kind of react to something, you know, in one place, whether it be New York or Minneapolis or California, and then something will come calling from another place. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of seems to be how it's always been for me. Um, it's, you know, whether it be start, starting in the Midwest and going to one coast, going to another coast. Um, yeah. That's what do you think that is? Is that just like different opportunities, looking for something new, a new challenge? Usually it's usually on a, I'm usually at a stage where I'm, yeah, I'm kind of in some sort of transition period where I'm, I'm kind of laying low and working on something, maybe that uh, some sort of idea or project or, or, or endeavor that I'd wanted to pursue. And then somebody will come back through a connection or through something that I've seen my work before or through the, you know, through the grapevine and be like, Hey, would you ever, would you ever like to come move here and try this? You know, and I've always had been able to, taken that as like wow okay this is a great this is a time to do a new uh, you know a brand new start and and have have a new start something fresh and a new sort of facet or angle to you know to the marketing or to the advertising um from where i've come from before you know it's like mm -hmm. you know it's just either, it's either one step you know one way or another and i always and I, and I always take everything take something from one and bring it to the other you know what i mean and i find that's always kept me fresh wherever i go is because i've always and being able to bounce around in a lot of different places and do a lot of different things is you're able to take so many different things and, and take them with you, you know, and, and bring that to the right. table in a new spot. Yeah. And we, we did talk a little bit before about 
not only like kind of the, the moving around for these different opportunities, but this kind of oscillation between kind of individual work, like having these kind of passion projects versus yeah. working on a team with others. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about the, you know, the pros and cons of both? I can, because it, um, I, it's something I know very well, because it's something where I've always, I've always wanted to say, like, I'm just going to like, you know, go work on something by myself, whether it be a painting or, you know, an art piece or, or, you know, a design piece or whatever it is. And that's fine for a while, but I think I've, I've always had my greatest success and, and, and I think maybe the greatest pleasure is, is in working with other people and, and kind of, and the, the idea of collaboration and, um, and seeing what comes of that kind of collaboration and, and, and seeing the outcome of a, of a group of people, a team working together. And I think a lot of it comes from, um, just the time that I've spent on set with making commercials, you know, anybody that's anybody that's, or, or just a photo shoot in general, anything where, where it takes a lot of different people to produce something, you know, and when you, you know, when you work with that many people, you know, and you see the, you know, the outcome of that, you're like, how could I ever do this by myself? You know, how can I ever just, just settle for just being in a, you know, in a vacuum by myself, you know, trying to create something just as good when, I've seen what happens when I work with other people, you know, and other right. talents and other sort of people with different disciplines and, and, and are able to create this. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to, to, to move away from that. And I always, I always come back, it always comes back to the team. It always comes back to like, I'll work for a while from my, my head down by myself. And I'll always be like, well, no, I, I gotta have a team. I want to, I want to work with other people and make something right. happen, you know, pool the resources, so to speak. I'm curious though now. So, how long have you been at Rooms to Go? Um, it's been, gosh, it's crazy. It's it it's seems like, like I've just gotten here. It seems well, it seems like it's just gotten here, but it's been it's like a year and a half. Wow, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, in that role, you're leading a team. So I'm kind of curious, like as you're you're leading other people, how do you tap into people's strengths um, mm -hmm. to really make the most of that team dynamic? That's well, that I mean that's um, that's tough, but that's also part of, part of what I love doing. I mean, I, I love kind of identifying people and working with a lot of different people that have different strengths and, and mm -hmm. different personalities and figuring out where they, where they fit in the, in the scheme of the concept and the scheme of, of getting things done, you know, and different people. It's cool because I mean, I think people gravitate and inherently there's differences. People have the differences between people naturally create a segmentation between what people want to work on. You know, I don't really get a lot of like everybody wanting to work on the same thing or everybody wanting to do the exact same thing because that's just not how people are. There's a mm -hmm. natural sort of delineation between, between, you know, people's talents and skills and, and interests that caught, you know, and, and so long as you hire the right people and, and, and bring people in that, um, that are diverse, then you'll never have that overlap problem. You'll never have that somebody stepping mm -hmm. on another person's toes. Everybody else kind of just kind of fits together like a puzzle. You know, and I think that's, I think that's the, I think that's the key. And, and right now, you know, my role is, is a very new role at the company. Um, I'm still figuring it out myself um, and, and working with, with the higher ups to figure out what my role is. And then my team that is, it was just very small and nascent at the moment. You know, I mean, I just, I kind of set my sights on, on trying to build you know, the best in-house team that Rooms, Rooms to Go could have, you know, and working with people that have been here before me um, mm -hmm. and hiring new people, um, whether it's young people and more senior people, like it's just how to, how to make it all come together has, has been really both one of the main challenges as was one of the main interests as well too. Um, right. Right. And you talked, you talked a little bit too about um, some of the mentors that you've had yeah. throughout your career that have really, I think, maybe paved the way for what leadership looks like. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think there's somebody said, I don't know, it was like, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to work for the best. And I think that's, I, I've been lucky to work for some of the best people in, in the business. Um, absolutely. Hands down. Um, you know, Trey Laird, um, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch was kind of its own world, but when i speaking specifically, specifically when I transitioned to advertising, you know, Trey Laird was kind of like fashion's go-to guy for advertising. He was great. He's an amazing eye, incredibly discerning um, individual with in impeccable taste. And, um, and I literally learned a lot about sophistication and, and the level of and luxury through him. 
Um, I also, Robert Lucier was, was um, really my, my first kind of true mentor and, and boss. And he was, he was amazing because he was a genius of, of orchestrating people and getting ideas done and making things happen. And um, it was just, it was just awesome working with somebody like him because he could just, he never knew exactly what his role was. He was a, he was the creative, he was a creative director that I was working for at, at Laird and Partners. And, um, but he would just somehow get everybody excited about, he could make anybody excited about anything. It could be the, the worst project in the world and he would make everybody excited. And, and not only that, but he would ebb and flow, um, which I think is something that I gleaned my manager, my managerial skills and, and, and the goals that I have as, uh, as a leader, you know, or something to react to the situation, to any sort of situation, you know, I mean, he was a genius at that, like where, I mean, he would, he would, I mean, almost hilariously because, you know, I mean, we come in some days, you know, we're working on a project and he'd be like, oh, you like, gosh, we've got nothing. What are we going to do? I'm like, we're, we're hopeless. This is a mess. And then somebody like one of us would be like, you know, say something like, well, you know, like, well, what about like watercolor or what about like we, we drip the lines or something? And he'd be like, oh, that's genius. Seems like, you know, like, and then like two days later, his whole wall would be like filled with like just tons of concepts based on it. And like, it would just the whole direction, everything would just change. And like, and anybody could say anything at any given moment and everything, and, and everything, he would just kind of react to like what was going on within the group and the ideas that people would have, and then just kind of just elaborate on them and just make them and then get everybody super excited. And you kind of looking at these like concept walls and stuff like that and, and being like, oh, wow, like we actually have, like, there's so many things that we could do. And it could be the most minuscule project and you would make it be like the most monumental one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was really lucky to work with, uh, you know, Dave Peterson at, Peterson Miller Hooks, who really made like, I mean, he was, um, you know, made Target really what it was, you know, back in the day and, and making it that, that Target and that, I mean, that level of sophistication, that style. And he was, he was a, a genius of image maker, you know, um, an art director at, at heart um, and learned so much about how to do like really good TV from him as well, you know, just amazing how to make a really engaging and stylized um, mm-hmm. TV spot was one of the, probably one of the biggest things I learned from him. Um, and then even, I mean, I've been so lucky even, even now working for, for Jeff Seaman, you know, I mean, he's obviously one of the best in the furniture business, been doing it forever and, and just a, a genius in his own right in terms of how he, you know, creates his value proposition and what he gives back to the customer and what he's, what he's able to offer, you know, the customer in terms of a product and, and a value is, is amazing and, and how his mind works and how he delivering messages to people and what, and getting across what, what he's what he's got, you know, to give. So yeah, it's, it's been diverse and good uh, for sure. Yeah. It sounds like it. I think <clears throat> if I had to kind of encapsulate what it seems like you've learned, you know, as, as to how to be like a great team leader of creatives, it sounds like, you know, being this kind of cheerleader, like getting mm-hmm. people excited and see, you know, the, the lessons and the challenges yeah. and all of the, the different types of work we have to do. Um, it sounds like, you know, being this kind of champion of inspiration might yeah. be another role that you really have to play. And then really understanding your team's strengths and backgrounds so you yeah. can put people in the right spots, right? Like, just like a coach yeah. of a, not that I'm very into sports, but I could imagine <laughs> that if I was coaching a football team that I'd want, you know, certain people in certain roles so we can kick butt. So yeah. it's, it's kind of the same thing, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm totally, I think you know, um, getting people into certain roles and having them be self-fulfilling and um, in, in those roles being something that they're proud to be in and seeing, I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's so much about people connecting with other people and seeing how everybody fits and how everybody kind of, you know, the roles that we all play in, in whether it be in the, in, in the job, but in life, you know what in I mean? Life, and, and, right. and, and like how, how people, how the, there's no such thing as solitariness. You know, you talk, people talk about the collective unconscious. I mean, the, the most exhilarating times is when everybody's on the same wavelength and everybody's like vibing on the same thing and people are just getting excited about the same thing. And it's like, it's, it's that kind of stuff that really moves the needle. You know, it's that kind of stuff that makes right. the best work. And, and I think people know that like it's, it's, designers know that, you know, designers always want to be on that tip. They always want to be in that environment, 
but I think it's just something that translates to just just a human everyday thing too. Whether you're a designer or not, you want to be on that on that wavelength and know your place, you know. But be part of the the stream, you know. And you want to be part of the the ebb and flow of culture and and um, and the sort of the consciousness of of, of humanity at the time. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always feel like you know it's it's finding purpose and value you know like what am yeah. i adding how am i contributing to the greater how am i contributing as everybody wants to yeah. know like what am i doing here what am i yeah, doing what, here what, what, <laughs> what is my purpose yeah definitely and so i feel like a lot of times you know as a team leader if you can help people find that that's how you retain talent you know absolutely yeah if you so. can tell somebody their purpose like you know it's a, one thing you know in the job spectrum you know i mean life that would be another that would be amazing too <laughs> i guess that's what gurus and stuff are for but um you know, but yeah, definitely in the job um, arena, it's it's about getting people to be like, you know, you're you're totally, you know, killing it in this respect, and keep doing this, or you know, would you ever try this? You know what I mean? It yeah. seems like you're really into like maybe you know you know kind of put them in you know and you know, down down a sort of like kind of separate path, but but maybe a better path, or I don't know. And then always like learning from people too. I think um, I find that I just you know, it sounds so cliche as like, never stop, you never stop learning or whatever. But the minute, the minute you have to like manage somebody or tell somebody something is the minute that you really learn more about what you're doing wrong too, you know, or, mm. or what you're not doing or what you want to be doing more better at, or, you know, or should be mm -hmm. doing. Um, so it's very reflexive, you know, um, it's very reflective yeah. in that way. Yeah. That's a really good point. I want to jump in on that part too, uh, the, on the purpose aspect and trying to figure out your goal at any any career, whether you're starting or going where you are now. It's kind of, uh, your purpose does kind of change as you go through the timeline and it's something you have to identify in yourself too, to help guide other people, you know? Exactly. So like, as you, you were saying earlier, which uh, resonates with me too, is like, sometimes you want as a designer to put yourself in a silo and just you're going to make the coolest, craziest, best thing. And you realize, you know, it works better when you're collaborating, but it's, it's kind of tough without somebody helping you collaborate. Someone pulling you in and that's kind of the role of the director. And as a designer moving into a director, you also have to remember, you're not the only one who has to do it. You have to also be able to get the other people to do it. So it's kind yeah. of a cycle. It's, it's, it's funny to talk about, but uh, it's interesting hearing what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's a tough thing as a designer, and um, and as a, being a designer and a design leader, you know, it's like the the where you switch between putting pen to paper and be, being that designer, you're doing the work, doing the the grunt work, or doing the, you know, what however you want to call it, and then being the one who's kind of hovering above, orchestrating, and having a, a certain perspective. And to be a design leader, you know, you have to have that perspective. The minute you you I mean, it's okay to plunge, get down in the trenches and, and roll your sleeves up. But at the same time, that's that you, you have to know when to get back out of it. You have to know when you, I got, I've got to step away. I've got, I can't stay down here with my head down working on this stuff because I'm going to lose my perspective, which is what I was hired to do in the first place, you know? And, and I, by the way, I've got these people that can be doing this, you know, for me and, and maybe perhaps doing something that I wouldn't have thought of, you know, or something that is, um, you know, compatible or, or, you know, um, makes what I, my initial vision even greater, you know, yeah, like inspiring them and bringing new perspective to you. Like back Absol absolutely. You and you're helping them at the same time. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, that's a whole, that's a whole like cyclical chain, you know, process. Um, again, working towards that goal of creating something great, you know, and, and, um, and working with other people allows for that to happen, allows for that output to happen. So, you know, um, seamlessly, you know, and, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, well, we had a question in the Q&A that I, I, I think kind of makes sense to address right now. Caroline was asking, you know, as a young designer that's trying to break into the commercial side of the industry, how often do you suggest um, a switch between either a job or company? Um, what's the longest you've stayed at a firm? What advice can you give around that? That's an interesting, that's an interesting um, question and topic. You know, I mean, I think, yes, there's, there's pros and there's a lot of pros and cons to, to jumping around and moving from one place to another. Um, I'm, I've never stayed at a place. I think the longest I've ever stayed at a place is maybe like five or six years. Mm -hmm. 
really stay in a place, you know, and I, that's always been like the longest for me or something like that. And I, I don't, I don't, I've never hesitated to try to go to another place, but you know, a lot of that, like that starts to, you know, it also depends a lot on your age. You know, when you're younger, I would say, you know, you know, keep it mobile. You know, if, if you're not, if you're not happy some somewhere, then, then by all means, you know, try to get yourself into another position, but it's not about, I think it, what's really important is to, is to, again, be very open to what's going on in the universe and in your universe and, and what are the opportunities that are being put before you. If there's, you know, you can't just, you can't just will yourself necessarily into what you want. You have to, you have to react to opportunities that come your way and something that's put before you. And there might be something that you're, you're missing just where you are at the moment that um, that could be very beneficial and it could be something that, you know, you could work bet you know, work towards in your immediate space as opposed to moving. But, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons, like I said, there's pros and cons to, to doing, to doing that, um, you know, and uh, it's just kind of, it's just about taking, I think for me, it's always been about if there's been an opportunity, I felt the worst mistakes I've ever made is when I didn't, react to an opportunity. I, when mm -hmm. I tried to, when I tried to say, no, this is what I'm doing. This is the way it is. Watch me do it. That's when I've fallen on my face the hardest. I think mm -hmm. when I haven't been like, you know, just staying course and then just keeping my eyes open and the, the vision open and seeing something come into field of view, that's an opportunity to be like, wow, like this could be a really great step. You know, this could be a really great, you know, thing for me. And then, and then deciding then whether or not to take it as opposed to I'm just unhappy and I'm just going to do this. And, you know right. I mean? I think it's about keeping, really keeping an open mind um, right. is the key to success with that. Yeah. I always, when I've mentored um, designers in the past, I've always said like keeping open doors, like you yeah. want all the doors and windows open, Absolutely. you know, so if something changes, you have options and then I've also always said that um, you don't want to run away from anything. You want to run to something. Absolutely. You know? So uh, that's, again, great, that's, keeping, that's a great way to say it right there. Yeah. 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 You don't want to run away. You want to run to something. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I feel like when the opportunities, when you, when you stop learning, that's right. when you kind of know it's probably time to, to look for something new. Yeah. Stop learning. Yeah. That's good. Cause yeah, you never want to stay stagnant, right? That's you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to stay stagnant. Life's too short, blah, blah, blah. Like for absolutely. But I think, and you owe it to yourself to kind of, you know, be proactive in that way. You know, when you, when you can definitely make the call that this isn't something that's, that's for me, you know, um, mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta move on. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I mean, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, no problem, Caroline. Um, I just want to spend a little bit more time talking about rooms to go. You know, I think a lot of times we, we have local um, uh, leadership like you that join these meetings every month. And I, I think the folks that, that attend like to hear a little bit more about, you know, what the, the companies and, and folks are doing locally. So um, what like what attracted you to rooms to go to begin with? <laughs> well, actually, um, there wasn't anything that really attracted me to rooms to go. It was more again, an opportunity of someone's like, Hey, there's this furniture company that you probably have never heard of because I'm not from the South. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I didn't know of them at, at the time. And then, and then it was more of like a learning experience and then talking to people and, and how much they were, you know, a part of this region and this, you know, in this community and stuff like that. And uh, so it was kind of more of me just discovering and, 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 and having the luck of, of being introduced to the people here. Um, more than anything than you know it felt right yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah what um since you've been here for about a year and a half I think what are what are some of the triumphs and what have been some of the challenges um well definitely I think like like I had touched upon um uh just kind of carving out what my role is I don't think they've ever really had um rooms to go hasn't had a creative director outside of Mr. Jeff Seaman himself being the man, the creative director himself hasn't really had, there hasn't really been a role like mine um, and, a, and a centralized figure um, to kind of um, bring together the different channels, the different marketing channels, whether it be through, mm. you know, broadcast television, print and digital. Um, and I think it's probably my biggest challenge is to figure out how to work with the, the different things that have traditionally been in sort of siloed um, uh, spaces and kind of figure out how to take one idea and bring it to another person and, and 
not only ideas, but inspiration and, and kind of a driving force of just doing things better. Um, you know, allowing them, allowing myself to kind of be an ambassador of that to all the different marketing channels. And that's, that's probably been one of the biggest challenges so far. And just work, just, just, you know, it's hard to be a, a new guy in, in, in a, in a place where like people have been here for like 30 years, you right. know? Um, and, and it's, an, it's, an, it's incredibly difficult and, and, you know, and to come in and, um, and be like, Hey, you know, I've got some ideas, you know, that you guys have maybe never thought of. It's like, it's kind of an, a weird thing. Um, but, um, you know, there's so much history and there, there's so much to stand on that it just makes, it's just, a, it's, a, it's really about me applying a perspective more so than any sort of, you know, any sort of big change. It's more of an evolutionary perspective. Um, right. but, but trying to implement that vision, I think is probably one of my biggest challenges. Do you have any um, triumphs or, or small wins that you can share? <laughs> small wins? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think maybe um, I've been able to, um, from a branding standpoint, I've been able to evolve the branding a bit. Um, and it's, a, it's, had, it's appeared in different places on TV and stuff like that. And there's been, there's been I, I think it, it's one of the hardest things I have you know, I, I come here to work every day and I have like this big list of stuff that I wish was that I wanted to have done, or I wish was, was going to get taken care of. And, you know, it's just not like that. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a long game. And, um, and so I, a lot of times lose perspective of being like, am I even doing anything here? Am I even making a difference or am I seeing any sort of, am I getting those wins? What are those yeah. wins? I don't even know. It's like, a long game, right? It's a I mean, very it's not, long game. And it's, it's, it's marathon. It's, it, exactly. And, and so it's a lot of times for me, I just have to keep, uh, well, I try to talk to people and ask, you know, get their opinion, you know, the kind of the collective opinion, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's actually just something that's just, that's difficult for me to, to, to really figure out what, what is that like win, you yeah. know, because I'm like in the win in my mind is always so like, I want this right now. I want all this stuff changed. I want this stuff to look better. I want everything to look better, blah, 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 you know? And it's just not, that's just not how it works, you know? And so it's yeah. hard, it's harder to kind of take it in, take it in stride and, and like all the little wins, I guess. Yeah. You have to have little celebrations. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right. We have a couple of questions that popped up um, and then we have some fun Atlanta questions that we can cover okay. if we've got time, but cool. um, Corey wanted to know in your career, has it been more helpful to be networked into opportunities or um, have you found more success through, you know, applying or um, using recruiters? Uh, well, I've had, it's probably been about 50, 50 split for me. I, it's really yeah. hard to say like one, but it, I would say immediately, I want to say go for network. And then two, I've had, but I've, I've had some amazing success with recruiters. So like, I can't say it's one of, it's, it's, it's pretty much a, a direct, like it's gotta be a split 50, 50 right down the middle for me where I've had just amazing opportunities put before me through recruiting mm-hmm. uh, firms, you know, thankfully that are out there. And then um, some through has been just through, through networking. Um, mm-hmm. the, for example, the rooms to go is, was, um, was a networking thing Okay. Peterson Miller Hooks was an eight was a recruitment agency thing, um, you know. So definitely, every every point has been one or the other, kind of back and forth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it goes back to just keeping all the doors and windows open, right? Because you never know when an opportunity. You never, you never itself. know. You never know exactly. Right. Right. Cool. All right, guys. I mean, if you have more questions, please, please uh, share them in the chat or in the Q and A. We got one more that came through. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, asks, would you say that for young designers, diversity of experience is more important than depth of experience? Do you, do you do more thing kinds of things uh, than do one thing a lot? Huh. <laughs> I would say I would say you're going to have a, a harder time doing lots of things than doing one thing really well a lot. I think one of the things I've, that I've struggled with consistently in my career is doing too many things. Um, you know, not that I, I, the problem is, is I just enjoy so many different things. Um, one of, in one respect that makes me a good creative director, because I, I come from a lot, I'm, I'm able to see things from a lot of different perspectives. I'm able to bring a lot of different discipline, disciplinary talents to the table. Um, 
but I got to say, there's something to, I think like Heinz ketchup, I read once on a Heinz ketchup bottle says do the, the, the owner of Heinz or the, the founder of Heinz said do one thing really well. And it always stuck with me because I'm not that guy, but I've seen so much success, you know, via, be it monetary or, or other uh, for people that have done that have done mm-hmm. one thing really well. I think in general, people, people generally like it. I mean, it, it's really for other people because, you know, I think people generally like to try to limit people, not necessarily in a bad way, but in, in a way where they like to know really quickly what you do, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and people can be very successful from doing one thing really well. I mean, artists know this too, because I mean, how many artists have suffered like artistic deaths by changing their style or changing what they're doing? You know, I think, I think people just generally love it when it's like, you know, you do one thing and you just keep doing it, you know, and it's like, and now that's what that guy does, you know, but so you'll definitely run into resistance and it'll be harder for you and you can get lost in your own sort of um, multidisciplinary, like uh, notions and, 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 uh, and ventures, you know what I mean? So it's, it could definitely be an easier road sticking to one thing. And, um, because of the fact that everything is so, you know, um, there's so much to be learned or gained from just one thing too. Like another way, it's just another way to play it. Like if you went after, you could spend your whole life trying to perfect one thing and you'll never get it perfect, but your level of perfection could be astronomical. You know what I mean? And it's just how you want to play your life. It's how you want to design your life. And I think that, you know, it's up to to you, there's definitely, there's, there's a hard road to toe. Um, uh, if you go after the multi, the multifaceted approach, but at the same time, if you stick to one thing, you're going to, there's that chance that you're going to get bored and want something else. I don't know if that makes sense. That answers the question. Yeah, no, I think that I think I think that makes sense. I think early on in your career, it's good to dabble and kind of find, you know, what are you what are you good at? What do you enjoy? And what can you make money doing? And then yeah. once you discover that, then like you know, ride that to the bank. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, ride that to the bank. I think that'd be a good. Yeah, depending on where you are in your career. It's also kind of uh, it's kind of both at the same time in some perspective, like. If you're a graphic designer, that doesn't. What does that mean? I mean, that applies to a lot of fields. So, like, you could do graphic design, like you did for fashion, you know. Yeah. Uh, and kind of multidisciplinary already off that bat, and that can lead to another thing. And you can kind of combine your skill into another skill and develop your primary skill while also developing a secondary skill and kind of do absolutely. It yeah. Again, it's that, it's that idea of taking one thing and bring it to another place you know you, you take mm-hmm. one thing and bring it to somewhere where they don't necessarily have it or it hasn't been you know if you're taking taking graphic design to a place that doesn't traditionally have graphic design you know i mean you're that's going to be a whole new world of opportunity there mm-hmm. uh, absolutely so so to, you know, figuring out how to design that diversity i think is is really important to one's career early on and you know you can really it's it's, it's, a, it's a design in itself for sure Right on. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> okay. Three minutes left. Nick, can you tell us your favorite restaurant to get carry out from in Atlanta? To get carry out from, well, you know, I got to say, I'm, I, I feel like I'm just, I'm such a novice at, or so, I'm so new to the, to the food scene. I think that's why I was interested. I wanted to know from a newbie, what were you thinking? Um, carry out. I don't know. Are you saying carry out now because of, of COVID? Yes. Or just... <laughs> if, there's well, a, actually... if there's a really great patio you've been to, feel free to share that as well. No, I mean, you know, honestly, um, we got some really great carry out from that restaurant Spring the other, the oh, other night yeah. at Marietta, uh, which was uh, to die for a great restaurant. I haven't been there um, to eat, but to um, as, for, as far as carry out, it was pretty amazing. I'm not the, I mean, I'd like to say I'm a foodie. I honestly, like I, would love to go out more and experience more of the the culinary like offerings that Atlanta has to have. I don't. <laughs> um, some good food in town. There's a ton of good food, and I and I feel as though I need to start working that in. I mean, COVID's been a little bit of a hindrance to that, but um, <laughs> or a big hindrance to that, I guess you'd yeah, say. It's like, oh. <laughs> not really a little, a big, a big, a big hindrance, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Fun. Well, I can recommend Antico is our Friday night spot on the west Antico. side. Oh, really? Okay. You have a lot of outdoor seating and I think it's so cold right now, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if we'll we'll sit outside this week, but yeah. 
that's our favorite, our favorite pizza spot in town. So oh, cool. um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Lucas, I was thinking if we can get on technology for 2021, we need to uh, get a digital setup that's like the Oprah Conversations. Has anybody seen that show on Apple TV? No. Anybody? No. You have to watch, it's really good. That's gonna be a good one for next year. It looks like they're in the like they're in the same room. That Oprah, whoever she's interviewing, it looks like they're in the same room. Oh, cool. it'd be great to to meet <laughs> you awesome. sometime. Yeah, absolutely. This is over. Absolutely. Yeah, Definitely. but thank you so much, everyone, for joining today. It's been a pleasure um, hosting the last uh, Insider of the Year, and we look forward to making more memories in 2021. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. So thank much. you.